Hi, my name is Annie Grossman, and I'm a dog trainer. This podcast is brought to you by School for the Dogs, a Manhattan-based facility I own and operate along with some of the city's finest dog trainers. During this podcast, we'll be answering your questions, geeking out on animal behavior, discussing pet trends, and interviewing industry experts. Welcome to School for the Dogs podcast. This week, School for the Dogs podcast is sponsored by SaneBox, the email service that is designed to make dealing with email a breeze. SaneBox gives you a powerful set of tools that can work in just about any email client. It's kind of like artificial intelligence for your inbox. SaneBox will automatically sort your email for you, defer your email to a more convenient time, set up reminders, and more. Get a two-week free trial, plus $15 off when you sign up at schoolforthedogs.com slash sane. Now I wish I could shimmy like my sister Kate. She shakes like a jelly on a plate. Mama wanted to know last night, mm-hmm, why all the boys treat Kate so nice? Well, all the boys in the neighborhood, they know she can shake it and it's understood. I may be late, but I'll be up to date when I can shimmy like my sister Kate. Oh, mercy, shimmy like my sister Kate. So, I'm sitting here with, what what do I even call you? Partner in crime. My partner in crime. (laughs) My partner not in a sexual way. (laughs) Yes, I always worry about that when I say, introduce you as my partner. I clarify it with business partner. My business partner, she with whom I founded School for the Dogs, Kate Sinisi, the one, the only, and... um, Kate has certainly been one of the most important people in my life in the last. Oh, thank you. In the last decade. And you and mine. Ah. Uh, um, I think very... we're also friends. I think. <laughs> Kate, I'm just do you, kidding. Do you want to be friends? Should we be friends? I don't know. We... It might interfere with our working relationship. <laughs> Is it possible? <laughs> no, I really feel so lucky that. We found each other when we did, and um, so I brought Kate on uh, to talk about how she got into dog training and um, to talk about some of the things that we both love about dog training. I think uh, one thing among many things that we both have in common is we both get really excited about geeking out on <laughs> on training and I knew early on that that we were going to be friends for a long time when we were curled up I think on your couch drinking wine watching like Kathy Zadeo <laughs> oh yeah the Tozer days Reco- recorded videos of DVDs of seminars on Saturday nights together after dog training all weekend or figuring out how to become dog trainers all weekend we would hang out and watch videos about dog training with our dogs, and I remember one of those nights thinking, like, this is it. (laughs) (laughs) I have found a certain kind of soulmate. I found an equal nerd. An equal nerd. Partner. Um, So Kate and I started working together, gosh, well, pretty soon after we first met, which I believe was in 2011. I think so. And at that point, um, we were both... um, 
we had studied dog training on our own in different ways, which we can talk about in a minute. And I think we were both at the the point of trying to figure out how to parlay our interest and knowledge into work. And um, school for the dogs kind of was born born from there. But why don't you why don't you talk about how you got to that point? Till that point when we first met at Irving Farm. Yes. <laughs> Our favorite, favorite local coffee our place. Our favorite local coffee place. So I think my obsession with behavior may have started much younger than I previously thought. Um, recently, I've been watching this show, Criminal Minds, which I'm sure everyone's heard of. And it's actually pretty terrible. But what I love about it is the behavioral profiling. Criminal Minds? Yeah. I thought it was called Mindhunter. No, there's a different there's two show. two different shows? Yeah. Mindhunter is actually based on a book that I read probably back in, like, 1995 when I was, like, 13 years old. And I got really excited, actually, about studying behavior in humans, specifically serial killers, people that do things that are disturbing. Um, and I, my, my goal at 13 was to work for the FBI and to be a behavioral profiler. Amazing. Um, but then once I looked into it... See, what's it, funny is I feel like if I had known about that, too, that also would have been what I would have wanted to do. Yeah. Uh, but then the more I read, or or, about it, it or was, maybe become a serial serial a serial killer, <laughs> and then I could study your behavior. <laughs> we would have met like, one way. Or yeah, <laughs> but I mean, and it, it it is still fascinating to me. But there's an element of that that is a lot harder to sort of like not bring home with you. Um, although sometimes some of the work that I do with dogs is also it, it's difficult in some cases where the dog has where a dog may have severe behavioral issues. Um, well, but not to be, the level of just to jump of, around in time a little bit. Yeah. In this story, those who don't know you, who might be listening, don't know that you now specialize with difficult dogs. Yeah. Sort of the to some sort extent of the serial killers of the dog world. The serial in some cases. Of the dog world. <laughs> well, I mean, one of the kind of amazing things I think about our partnership is that we naturally found this division of. Labor as far as running the business together, which we can maybe talk about, but also a division of what we're both interested in, and yeah. I think that's really suited both of us. And yeah, and it really I, it I like to tell people that, that you do all the hard stuff and I do all the fun stuff, but, <laughs> but you actually find the hard stuff fun, so. Yeah, but, and it also, I think, helps us cover, so, like, a wider range of issues as a part, you know, as a partnership and as a group of trainers, I really love it. I wouldn't want to work any other way. I know there are a lot of trainers out there that run their own businesses, and I'm sure that's stressful, but also easier in a way because you only have to deal with yourself. Um, but the collaboration and having that group, I think, is really, really important, especially on the, the days where you have a tough case or a tough situation. You have people mm -hmm. to talk to about it. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, um, I'm not sure how to say this, but the thing is that people might not realize is that whether you're working with a puppy or you're working with, um, let's call it a, a sidewalk psycho, mm -hmm. <laughs> a dog who has real issues, for instance, maybe on the street or whatever, um, or, or, or a dog who just has like mental issues, which sometimes just can happen like it does with yes. people. You can do everything <laughs> right. Um, but in either case, like you're using the same building blocks as far as training goes. Definitely. It's not like, it's not like, you know, hold on, stop everything. I need to work right. with a totally different set of tools. It's the same tools. You're just using them in a more, 
in a, in a not a more way, just a different different way. Or you're, you're wearing your different your glasses, your puppy glasses, or your disturbed dog glasses, like a little bit of a filter there, hmm. as to how you would approach something. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's like kind of like cooking cooking meals in the kitchen. Like the kitchen doesn't change. Right? You were always the queen of analogies. <laughs> <laughs> yes. So we'll I figure out so, one out of every five of them will stick. <laughs> So just going back, that was early history. And I actually wasn't, I guess I was interested in animals, but more interested in strange human behavior at an earlier age. And then I was interested in having a pet. My parents wouldn't allow me to have any furry animals. So I had a snail as my first pet, which then had babies. And I brought it back to the pond because I felt so guilty. Oh my gosh. And then, Poor snail. And Did after snail that... Have- but no, but you provided a home for the snail. I did, babies. and if I had known, you were a foster. What I know now. I may, I may have even tried to communicate with that snail. Did the snail have a name? Huh? Yes, Victoria. <laughs> <laughs> because I was victorious in getting my first pet. Oh, <laughs> Victoria the snail. Yes. I mean, I, I figured that actually I was lucky because it ended up, I guess, being female because it had laid eggs. But I named it that before I knew the sex of the snail. So you had a pet snail. So, yes. And then I had reptiles, iguanas. I learned a lot from them. Um, And then fast forward to my professional life. I went to school for graphic design. Uh, Didn't really know what else I wanted to do, but I thought that seemed fun. Well, why didn't you want to go into behavioral psychology or profiling? Oh, yeah. I changed my mind about that. (laughs) So there were a couple reasons. One was that you have to actually be an agent with the FBI for like 10 years before you can even be considered for that behavioral unit. Um, Although uh, maybe that's changed. I think those were the rules back when I actually looked into it. Um, And I wasn't sure if I actually wanted to be an agent in the field. I just wanted to study serial killers, interview them, um, and sort of work on that profiling team. Um, So that was one thing. And then I also just thought about my future and having a family Um, and just, you know, the things that you would read about would be hard even for me to think about, like, bringing up with a family member, um, with just so much evil out there, so many things that are mentally disturbing. I thought, like, how am I going to come home and talk about this to, Hmm. like, maybe a husband or or kids, although I don't have any children now, so maybe I could have done it. (laughs) But something about it was just too hard for me to feel like I could compartmentalize that and, and not bring it home with me. Whereas with dog training, even though, again, sometimes the cases are tough, it, it doesn't feel as... Uh, well, you're not worried someone's going to come after your children in the night. Yeah, it's a little less personal, I this, guess, this, even though they are species that live with us. When I was trying to figure out a new career when I was 30, and I talked about this, I, I think, in the first episode of the podcast, but sitting in the dog park writing notes to myself of, like, what are things that I like to do? What do I want to do? I think really the three the three top things that I thought about as careers for myself, dog training was one. Becoming a makeup artist was another. Really? Which I actually, uh, yeah, and I actually recently talked to a makeup artist who told me that her, she, and I, and I did look into it at the time because I used to do face painting at. I do you know, know this that, about no. me? I used to do face painting at kids' birthday parties throughout college. Um, and I can see I, that. I, uh, I made, You're I made a great a pretty, illustrator. I made a pretty it's penny. Like illustrating on the face. Yeah, I loved doing it. It was really fun. I mean, I didn't really know what I was doing, but I was teaching myself. And then um, this was kind of like before there was the internet, so I didn't have a lot of references. But I liked doing it, and I thought maybe I could do like stage makeup or, or something. 
And I looked into it a little bit at the time, but I didn't, there was no program that seemed like it made sense. There were no anyway. face painting programs? <laughs> well, I wasn't going to do face painting. I was going to do, you know, Makeup theatrical, yeah, yeah, something. But anyway, I, I met this one the other day who told me that she went to makeup school and learned a lot and it was $30,000 for six months. Wow. Which I thought... And, and that was recently or recently, like back Recently, recently. Okay. No. Okay. And I thought, gosh, you know, dog training school was certainly more affordable than A little that. bit. But my like third, my I think my third choice of like new careers for myself, if I could figure out how to do it, was uh, private eye. Really? Yeah. I loved the idea. Have you seen that you're bored to death? Yes. It's one of my favorite shows. I'm so sad they just canceled it. I love that, too. But, yeah, Um, that's the first thing I think of when I think of a private eye. You'd be that, like, hipster private eye. Hipster private eye. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I think there's something in... in... It's a little bit voyeuristic, too, kind of watching other people. But it's observation. Well, so is journalism, you know, which is what I was doing before, talking to people, finding out their story, finding out what motivates them, finding out, like... You know, and, and just figuring things out. Like, I think I like just figuring things out. And um, and there is an element of that kind of detective work, I think, actually, in dog training that certainly scratches that itch. Totally. Like, I had this one case. It was just pretty early on. Um, and... Uh, where the dog only would walk with the woman, only would walk with the man and not the woman. Mm -hmm. And, um, it took two or three sessions, but I finally realized that they were walking the dog with different leashes and that the woman was walking with this leash that had a really big clasp and was like banging the dog on the face. And the dog was probably small, right? Small dog. Yeah. Yeah. And so the clasp was like banging the dog on the face when they were walking outside, whereas the man used a leash with a lightweight clasp, and that made all the difference. Yeah, something. So, sometimes it's something like, as simple as that. Yeah. If and, only it were that every time. But Or I just got... Remember, do you remember Gus, the French bulldog? No. I don't maybe. think so. I just got an email from there, from him, I mean, from his, his humans, who I saw at the Hester Street Fair um, that we did a few weeks ago, and she was telling me, that he started peeing in the house after the baby was born. They just had a baby. Mm. I think I, maybe it wasn't after the baby was born, but now the baby's older, walking around. They were pretty sure it was pegged to having, you know, pegged to the baby. Mm-hmm. And uh, and I said, try switching up his food. Maybe, maybe it'll help. And uh, they just wrote me that said it made. They said it made a huge difference. So wow, that made me feel made me feel good but I'll get but again, it's like it's that feeling of like oh I solved the puzzle <laughs> right yeah Which we all we all like that feeling anyway Definitely. back in time young young Kate Sinisi <laughs> from Schenectady New York goes to college becomes a graphic designer yes and, and, and did that for several years actually making a decent living um and I, it's it's still not something I dislike but I well you do felt, all the for also for those who don't know Kate does all the design for School for the Dogs, and uh, she she's created all of our website. She's the reason why everything looks as good as it does. Well, thank you. Which is a kind of person training. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I guess my um, training in branding and graphic design really actually did help me out in the end. Seriously? Um, yeah. So, and again, it wasn't a job I disliked. It was just sitting at a computer all day for eight hours. Um, the last firm, actually, I worked for, I really love loved still do love, uh, an environmental design firm. So it was pretty much like the dream graphic design job I could have had, um, but I just felt like I wasn't being You still have a lot of friends from there too, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Shout out to Atelier 10 if you're listening. <laughs> uh, so I anyway, I got really interested in doing something different and 
I didn't, I don't remember making a list, but I do remember at one point thinking, I think I want to do something more with animals, specifically dogs. And then I sort of started thinking, what could I do professionally? And I started off actually doing some dog walking for a year or two. And then I was a doggy daycare handler. Um, and all of those things were interesting, but not very fulfilling. Um, I was doing them part-time and I just felt like I couldn't really make much of a difference in the dog's overall behavior. Um, so that's what led me to become interested in training. And then that was back when Tauser was big. So I used to read a lot, go to a lot of conferences, watch a lot of Tauser videos. Um, and oh, I don't actually... Explain what... Oh, Tauser. So Tauser is basically like Netflix for the dog training community. Um, although now I think everything's online, right? You know? Yeah, I believe it's all streaming now. It's a really, really great resource. If you're into dog training, you gotta you gotta get on Tauser. They have recorded lectures and classes and and uh, I love it. Love it. So I wanted to chat for a quick moment about someone who you and I have discussed many times, and that is Caesar Milan, the dog whisperer. This has happened to me, so I'm guessing it's happened to you. I bet sometimes when you introduce yourself as a dog trainer, people say, oh, like the dog whisperer? Yes, that has happened. (laughs) Now, those... That's happened many times. Our dear listeners might not know, but but we're not big fans of of the dog whisperer, Caesar Milan. Yeah, and maybe not even for the reasons that most people would guess. I mean, my... There are two things. A lot of people who don't know about dog training, I think, would just think it's jealousy. Yeah. Possibly. Like, we're jealous of his... <laughs> of his success. Success. Yeah. Which I guess, I mean, I guess I am to some extent, but not like I want to be him. No, I, I mean, I wish that <laughs> I wish that someone else maybe could have gained that much popularity, but actually getting, like, the correct information mm-hmm. out there, that would have really improved. That I think that will, would have improved. Well, we both encountered the dog whisperer before we got into dog training. I, I, think, I think you were a little bit more of a devotee early on than I was. I tried some of those methods with a foster dog way back when, and well, like I saw, what? well, just leash corrections. Um, and I saw actually your leash behavior decline in the next like, couple of days. How would you describe the leash, leash correction? Leash correction is basically a sharp, like, pop to the leash if the dog, let's say, looks at another dog and growls, or, uh, I don't know, starts pulling on the leash, right? So it could be, it would be considered positive punishment, although I don't know that we're going to quite get into the quadrants today. But um, adding in something that the dog or the animal doesn't like to, to make sure, or to attempt to decrease the probability of that behavior happening. Well, what was, what was your first step, though, in becoming a dog trainer, then, besides watching Caesar Malone? Oh, well, getting into dog walking and being a daycare handler, I guess. And then from there? And then from there, reading, watching videos. I don't actually have a formal education which people might be shocked to know. I didn't do, um, I did two, I did apprentice with two trainers in Brooklyn, um, but not for like more than probably six months. Well, no, I think it's interesting to note because I think uh, it's something that is true about this profession. There's not one path to take. Yeah. Every single person who works at School for the Dogs has a different, a different, a different route. I'm remembering something now, which is, duh, my volunteering at Animal Haven in the ASPCA. Mm-hmm. That might have actually been the first thing before I did dog walking, mm-hmm. now that I think about it. So do you feel like you've learned mostly on the job? Yeah, I think I've learned, well, 
I feel like I've also learned a lot from observing the trainers that I apprenticed with. Um, mostly that like, wow, I was already on the right track and it gave me actually gave me confidence to feel like I could be doing this uh, as a job. I'm getting paid. So when you reached out to me, right? When we first met? Yeah. So I think when we first met, I think I was teaching at Petco part-time, right? And working at Atelier 10, the other part-time, which is the environmental design firm. Um, and I was trying to figure out, is it possible to sustain like, you know, a yearly salary doing dog training? Could I make it? Or well, am I just going to have to be like kind of one foot in each profession for a while? Um, because at my design job, I had a salary, I had health insurance, all the things that adults usually think they need. <laughs> um, so yeah, at that point, I think I, I was just looking for something, some way to be able to do that full time. Um, and you found the, and I found the, uh, CPDT or APDT, the Association trainers, for Professional Dog Trainers, trainer meetup. Um, and that's where I met you. And that was that through the APDT site then? I think it was through their website, yeah. Because I think that must have been... I think I went to the APDT conference in 2010 in Atlanta because that was like a big wake-up moment for me as far as like... Yeah. Oh, I, I remember it was of, a great one for yeah. me early on too. I think conferences are, are so much fun, but I think they're especially useful when you're that at that point and trying to figure out whether you want to do something. Yes. I imagine like whatever it is you want to do, if you can find like a conference to go to and just immerse yourself. Yeah, for like eight hours a day. It's with, fantastic. Like, lots of other people who are doing that thing and who have opinions on it, and it seems so valuable to me. And experience. And experience, yeah. I mean, it's it's stuff that you can't get online. No, and I don't know that you can get that in any, like, condensed, I guess, in any apprenticeship even yeah. either. Yeah, I think... Although ours is pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> I, no, APD, going to that... I mean, I've been to a lot of conferences, and I think I've gotten a lot out of all of them, but that one in particular was felt really important Life to changing. me. Yeah, it did. Yeah. So I guess that's why I was then on the APDT meetup like, meet group or whatever. Yeah. Um, well, I remember you contacted me. I think I remember you contacted me, and then I looked at your website, and you had, like, the pink hair at the time. Oh, yeah. And you had photos of you working with Disco, and your, your website was super well-designed, and I, <laughs> and I had a total, like crush on Fan you girl. friend I had a friend crush on you before we even met <laughs> the truth comes out yeah well it was it was like it was like friend crush plus plus like plus like jealousy of like she's making it as a dog trainer and I'm not <laughs> oh but I wasn't <laughs> the secret's out <laughs> yeah but your website your website was website convincing look, oh well I also fostered a ton of dogs see yeah. this this is how my memory works like the floodgates <laughs> have opened I also fostered we must have fostered like 12 dogs over the years mm -hmm. my, uh, Jared my now husband and I um and I actually of course learned a lot from having multiple dogs in my home mm -hmm. at the same time so so yeah, then we met in 2011, and you did continue at Atelier 10 for mm -hmm. about two years. And Doing the part-time thing. Yeah. And, and then one day, Annie, being the risk taker that she is, said, <laughs> let's just do it. Let's do it. And I don't know what I was thinking, but I said yes. I think I actually wrote out things on paper. It was like, <laughs> if, that, if you that can work me. this many hours and get paid this much, then you could afford would to you quit do your it? job. Yeah. Um, and, uh, well, I... I I remember kind of like proposing to you and saying like, <laughs> like, would you be my business partner kind of thing? Because I think I felt like 
I definitely felt like I didn't know how to become a dog trainer. I, like I, I did not know like what the first steps were to take and that um, I needed, I needed like a buddy. Yeah. And, um, and I, and I also felt like we had complementary talents that you, you had the design stuff, you had the organization stuff. Um, and you I, had, the, I had other creativity. stuff, other stuff. Most of the creative ideas to date have probably come from Annie. Well, and then we, and then, and then we set up, uh, anyway, I remember, I remember just feeling, having this feeling of like, maybe if we approach this together, because it was felt so hard by myself. Like I felt like I felt just paralyzed. Like, I don't know what to do next. I don't know what to do next. How to start even. Like, I don't know. I, I wasn't sure how I could do a lesson even like every little bit of it felt daunting and I didn't feel like anybody was. There was no school for the dogs that I felt like I could go to and hang out and meet people and watch things in New York City. I felt like it wasn't – nobody had big open arms. Yeah, well, and, and it, also what's different – there are a lot of things. And I, I didn't and that, I didn't have enough experience, really, I feel like, to get a job for someone else. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was going to say I think a lot of um, – well, I know a lot of trainers in New York City don't have physical locations. And I think that's one thing um, – that has really worked to our benefit is to actually have a physical location and have, and of course our membership, there's so many things Well, you to have our members, to have that community there. And it, you, I don't think you can do that without a physical location. It's so funny it's because, the same. yeah, well, we started as, as you and I know, but listeners might not in my living room, the room that we're sitting in right now, yeah. actually, which looks much different. There's it looks no so much floors. different. God, it's crazy when I think about it. <laughs> so I have, I have uh, a large for New York City, <laughs> a large for New York City floor through apartment, and uh, that has been in my family for a very long time. And we turned the living room into a training studio. We put rubber on the floors, and there were like Bolton boards on the wall. And I still shelves, have some pictures of that. Shelves of funny. dog toys, and um, yeah, we'll have to dig up some photos, but. Uh, but I don't remember the moment where we decided to do that. And I do think it probably was my crazy idea. (laughs) I would bet it was. But it, but it, in looking back, it seems like it was, it was like such an out of the box way to do things in a weird way. But, but I mean, in a good way, but also. Well, because most trainers rent space for classes and they teach in the homes and that's pretty much all they do because they don't have a physical location. But it made such a difference. I mean, I can't, I can't talk for you, but for me, mentally building a business, having a physical space somehow made all the difference. Like the way that, like being able to promote, like, even though we were still going to clients' homes too, Mm -hmm. having clients come here and work here and having a place to have playtimes and classes and stuff like having a location where we could keep our stuff yeah. and not have to bring it every time we come and not have to have be in a daycare with dogs in the other room and like somehow it just made things click into place and I feel like it, yeah like you said I feel like that's kind of like buoyed us along the way the whole time definitely um, I agree but there was a so there was a short period where we were teaching at the at, at the dog daycare. So after about year maybe a year and a half or two years into running classes out of my former living room, there was a really big fire, and um, which is when we moved 
into our current space. But there was a period of time between when we had to leave because of the fire and when we moved into our current space where we were at a dog daycare, and those were hard days. They weren't that hard, but... I they, think I reacted... I mean, partially also, like, my... Your home was gone. Yeah, so like, that's... I lost my home and <laughs> yeah. workplace in a fire, so that was certainly part of probably my... The, the lull in my general mood at the time was, was because it really was a hard time, but but um, I found it really difficult to work out of the dog daycare. Just like like it like my senses were. For me, it wasn't that attacked. bad because the first place I started teaching was that was upper a dog east side daycare. Petco. Oh, oh and, yeah. the, and the training space was like this a little tiny X-pen thing with yeah. like four yeah. students. So I got really good really fast at space space management there. I recently did an episode with our trainer, Anna Marie, where we were talking about classical conditioning, which um, I know is one of her favorite subjects, one of my favorite subjects. I think you can't, one of your favorite subjects, I think, I think good dog training. If you're a good dog trainer, you have to be really excited about classical conditioning. We didn't get a talk to, we didn't get a chance to talk about the other kind of learning, which is operant conditioning and operant conditioning is really what's what's interesting actually is classical conditioning is operant conditioning actually all conditioning is operant conditioning it's just you're you're focusing on the behavior when you are making use of operant conditioning there's some sort of criteria for the behavior whereas with classical conditioning the criteria is zero. Mm-hmm. You're, you're not looking for any specific behavior. The thing is there if you're doing like classical conditioning. Right. Is, is, is the animal existing? Yeah. It's the only question that you're asking. Whereas with operant conditioning, you're starting to ask like, is the... Select for some behaviors specific or behavior. ask for some behaviors. Right. That's yeah. how I think of the difference in, in some way is, uh, or one, one of the differences between operant conditioning and classical conditioning. Um, punishment... You started talking a little bit about punishment, but just to define it for those who are not as nerdy about this as you and I are, punishment is not some bad, big, dirty thing. Punishment, by by technical definition, is anything that's discouraging a behavior. And reinforcement is simply the opposite, anything that's encouraging a behavior. And when we talk about positive punishment or negative punishment, or positive reinforcement, or negative punishment, or sorry, negative okay. reinforcement. Yeah. We're using the words positive and negative in terms of addition and subtraction. So instead of good or bad, instead of good or bad, right? And um, so I think you used the term positive punishment before. Positive punishment means you're adding something to the equation in mm-hmm. order to discourage, discourage or decrease a behavior. A behavior. And um, you, I know, use very little punishment, and even the very, even in the cases of very, dif- even in very difficult cases, you don't use punishment. But it's not because punishment is strictly bad, right? Well, I mean, what are some of the reasons why? How do you explain to someone who says, my dog is behaving a way I don't like, therefore I'm going to punish right. it, that seems like it makes sense. How do you how do you explain that away? Right. Well, the first question would be, why is the dog behaving this way? So 
if it's a case of, let's say, dog reactivity or stranger danger, uh, meaning a dog is, let's say, barking at someone to get them to go away, I want the client to understand why the dog is barking. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. I feel like I just forgot the question, actually. <laughs> well, how do you explain so, to somebody oh, that we're not, that right. we're, we're going to approach this, this problem without right. using so, punishment and, and, you know, with with it being not be, it's not because we're like touchy feely happy people and we only believe in using positive reinforcement punishments bad it's because we're not going to use punishment because there are actual problems secondary problems that can occur right well so in addition to the side effects the side effects that punishment can cause um, one which would be increased anxiety in an animal um, increased stress levels well hold on pause yeah. What's interesting is these problems are caused through the associations. Right. Which is so the it all classical boils down conditioning. To classical conditioning. So is the learner having a good time? Is the learner comfortable? If stress is affecting that equation at all, why would you ever consider adding in positive punishment? The learner is already so stressed. Or even add any criteria at all. Yeah. Or because, even start with operant conditioning at that point, right? Right. Like because if you have an animal that is stressed out, which most aggressive dogs are, right? Because yes. aggression generally stems from fear. Stress or arousal. Yeah. Um, I, hesitate, I always hesitate to use the word fear only because I don't actually know what the animal is thinking. Good point. But whereas a term like stress, we have definitions for what that looks like, like body language-wise, exactly, and, and arousal good, as well. Good point. Um, but if you're dealing with any animal who is in any state other than, you know, like basically okay and happy comfortable like that's not an animal who's going to be doing good learning right so you want to first work on creating like putting them in a better mental state yeah so step one is if I have a a stressed out dog um we've got to figure out if we do want to actually teach the dog anything how do we get them into that state of mind and that's just what you said um we've got to somehow change the emotional groundwork whether it's overall in the dog's life, um, just when they're outside, just when they're around X, Y, Z. So starting to change that groundwork is really just trying to change the association using classical conditioning. So what does that look like? So that would depend on the particular um, dog. But well, in why don't general, you think of an example of a dog that you've worked with recently? Yeah. So um, when I can also think of the sidewalk psychos. So one of the classes I teach is called sidewalk psychos. And it's designed for dogs who are very uncomfortable or very agitated or a mix of both around in the presence of other dogs, specifically on leash. Uh, Some of them actually do a little bit better off leash. Um, And the majority of the class is centered around classical conditioning. But when when the dogs are ready, we start working on operant and actually teaching behaviors like focusing on the handler, walking nicely on the leash. Um, impulse control exercises, waiting at doors, and things like that. So to start um, in that class, we set up uh, barriers so that the dogs actually can't see each other. Um, and it's we've got calming music on. <laughs> I spray down the uh, the barriers with um, what is that called again? Rescue? No, it's a rescue system. remedy. Yeah, well, with rescue, um, which supposedly has some anti. So it has some some calming properties. Yeah, it is different. Um, And basically to help the dogs come in and relax, the the owners practice a relaxation technique, a couple of relaxation techniques at home where the dog is very comfortable. 
and they associate the relaxation techniques with the mat, hopefully, which they then bring to class. And then they come in and the first, you know, maybe 15 or 20 minutes of that class is just making sure everyone's feeling good. Mm-hmm. Um, so that could be done through massage, it could be well, done through food, a mix of both. In puppy kindergarten, I say this entire series of classes is all about your dog feeling good in here. Yeah, so classical conditioning beginning is the is basically the beginning of a dog learning to feel good in the presence of other dogs. Um, and slowly, once the dogs are feeling comfortable, but not until then, we start exposing them to seeing another dog when they're feeling relaxed, though. That's the key at first. Uh, and then increasing the criteria a little bit as they get better. So first they're just in relaxed down positions and they're just getting the, f- the food or the massages or both while the dog is present, right? The barrier gets closed, you can stop. Um, oh, I wish I could shimmy. Yes, I wish I could shimmy. So recently we had a dog who went through um, level one, probably I think last year with me, Sidewalk Cycles level one. Um, And then she's now back for level two where we work outside. Who is the dog? And her name is Dixie and she's a pit mix. Um, And she is doing amazingly well. Um, I mean, like we, we passed by actually dogs that were not in the level two class, which sometimes can be tricky. For the dogs in level two, only because they've acclimated to the dogs that we've been walking well, together. So, what with, was going but... on with with Dixie when you first started? When she first started coming? Um, so she was, she has a little bit of a not great off leash history with dogs, but on leash she was like just spinning into a frenzy whenever she would see a dog. So, um, barking. Um, and in level two, what we've started to do with her is obviously fade the use of um, treats a little bit. So she's kind of just walking, occasionally checking in, getting praise from her mom, and occasionally getting paid uh, to maintain the eye contact, of Paid course. with food? With food, yep. Mm-hmm. Um, and we work on being in closer proximity to other dogs. And actually with her, we're now working on her greeting behavior. Because mm. her, so some dogs get into trouble when they don't offer um, what are called appeasement signals in the body language word, world. So if you see two dogs um, start to greet, usually what that looks like is head to head for a second and then head to butt, head to rear. Um, and But sometimes with certain dogs, they can get stuck at the facial, at the, at the nose sniff or the face sniff. And if they happen to make eye contact and neither dog offers what's known as an appeasement behavior, that's usually where you'll see an escalation in like either a fight or just ritualized aggression, Yeah, is aggression without actually biting. It's interesting that if you, if you watch for it and you see two dogs greeting nicely, a nice greeting is always the same. Yeah. I mean, a nice greeting is always face to face and then face to butt. But it's funny because we tend to say that, you know, dogs don't do great head to head. Yeah, but they usually start that way. But the the trick is that they don't get stuck at the face. And unfortunately, when a dog's on a leash, that can be something that they might learn early on is that they are kind of stuck on the leash. And so they might not, you know, they might actually greet more appropriately off the leash. But on the leash, they may have kind of developed a different routine or a different ritual. And then maybe that could be getting them into trouble. I explain it to people. It's like if you had to learn how to meet people for the first time in a straitjacket. Yeah. With someone, like, holding the end of your straitjacket on ha- top of yeah, it. Yeah, and having, like, very little control over controlling the distance. Yeah. Um, and that's, I think that's, I mean, that's why a lot of dogs have issues on leash. It's because they can't, they can't control 
where they physically are spending their that moment. Right, and talk about classic conditioning. What's their association with seeing another dog? Is I get <gasps> yanked. I get yanked. Ag- and, and they yeah. become extremely frustrated right. and agitated. And because they can't seek distance, you know, bark, bark, lunge, bite mm-hmm. <laughs> becomes their go-to move. Yeah. So really the goal of the Sidewalk Psychos course is instead of a dog instantly seeing or perceiving that a dog is nearby and feeling agitated and frustrated, they feel they actually want to they actually want to get closer to the dog maybe at some point. Um, you have helped so many dogs and owners. I, I can't even. I mean, especially in sidewalk psychos. I mean, beyond sidewalk I love that psychos class. too, but I wish um, I could add more classes because they're well, all full. <laughs> yeah. All right. And, and no one else. One thing just to mention too, I don't think there are any classes like that in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I have people all the time saying, I'm so thankful that you have this, this class because I couldn't really, you know, I, I couldn't take my dog any, to any other group class. Um, I mean, they just wouldn't be able to learn. And there really is something helpful about the, you know, eight weeks of being around other dogs and feeling safe. And having, you know, I mean, occasionally we have a few reactions in the class, but um, the difference there is that the number one, the dog actually doesn't go anywhere, and we help the dog sort of calm down a little bit faster in that controlled setting because it's not like the dog reacts and then the dog either goes away or comes closer. Um, but just being around dogs for that amount of time and again feeling safe really helps change their association in a way that I think sometimes private sessions for dog reactivity can't. Powerful stuff. <laughs> Kate, I think you're the greatest, and I'm so, so glad that we found I'm each so other. I'm so happy we're partners. We're I'm so happy that world. we're partners. It's It's been just such a great partnership. I'm going to get It's teary. a great balance. It is, and um, it's everything. It's it's um, it's wonderful. Anyway. Um, well, thank you. I'm sure you'll be on this podcast again soon, and uh, so thank you. Thanks. Our woof shout out today must go to Kate's dog, Disco. Disco was rescued by Kate and her husband, Jared, from the New York City Animal Care and Control. They fostered him at first, but then fell in love with him and kept him. And you cannot not fall in love with this dog. He is a black and white pit bull with uh, a tremendous underbite and just the sweetest personality. And my little dog, my little Yorkie Poo Amos, who is 13 and does not like all other dogs, loves disco and they make out. They full on make out with each other when they see each other and it is quite adorable. Fun dog fact of the day, did you know that pit bulls are not an actual breed? It's just kind of an umbrella term that refers to dogs who are kind of, uh, who kind of look like pit bulls, whatever that means. American pit bull terriers get labeled pit bulls, as do American Staffordshire terriers, as do bull terriers, but so do many mixed breed dogs and uh, dogs who just sort of have that squarish head, which is why I think it's so crazy uh, that there are pit bull bans in cities around the country, because uh, it really is banning a dog purely based on their looks. 
A huge thank you to those of you who have signed up to give a monthly contribution to this podcast through Anchor, our hosting service. You can do so at anchor.fm slash dogs. Really, really appreciate it. Uh, you can sign up to give 99 cents, $4.99 for $9.99 a month, and it uh, certainly helps produce this podcast, so really appreciate it. Thank you to Lloyd Davis for his version of Sister Kate, and as always to Alex Chris for producing this podcast. Another way you can support the podcast and also help organize your own life is signing up for SaneBox, which sponsored this episode. You can get a two-week free trial and $15 off if you go to schoolforthedogs.com sane. I've used SaneBox for years to organize my email. My latest trick is, you know, I don't know if you guys do this, but I do, is I email myself all the time, like things that I need to do. So half of the emails in my inbox are both to and from me. But one thing that you can do in SaneBox that's really helpful is email your future self. So I can uh, send an email through SaneBox really easily right in my Gmail account to myself in a week or in a month for things that I know I'm going to have to deal with but don't have to deal with right away. And that really helps me clear out my inbox but also make sure that uh, I stay on top of things I need to stay on top of, which uh, is certainly helpful. Thanks so much for listening. You can support School for the Dogs podcast by telling your friends about it, leaving a review, or shopping in our online store. You can learn more about us and sign up to get lots of free training resources when you visit us online at schoolforthedogs.com. 